Now today we're going to be jumping back into our series in the book of Philippians, Joy in the Journey. But before we do, I want to ask you this question. As you reflect back on the Christmas season, were you able to simplify the season and make it more about Jesus? Because you see, it's not just that we make it about Jesus during the Christmas season, but in every season of life. And today as we jump back into our series, Joy in the Journey, we are reminded of what we learned last time as we jumped into chapter 2 of Philippians, and that was the exhortation to humility. That ego is not your amigo. You might think it is. You might think that puffing yourself up with pride is going to be a good thing for you, but it's not. And what we discovered there is that joy comes through serving, not through selfishness, not through getting what we want. Now, there's something in our flesh that convinces us or cons us into believing that if we could just get our way, we would be happy. But have you ever met people that just constantly got their way? They're brats, and they're not happy, and there's absolutely no joy in their life. But have you ever met people that just love to serve others? They're some of the most joy-filled people. You see, today, on the heels of the exhortation to humility, we see the example of humility, and that example is Jesus Christ. And this is a call for you and I not just to look like Jesus, but to love like Jesus and to live like Jesus. It is so easy for us, isn't it, to just sort of put on this outward persona of Christianity, to just sort of pretend to look like Christ. I mean, look at me. You don't get more Jesus-looking than this, according to the European painters anyway, right? I mean, I throw on a robe, I've got the hair, I've even brought my Jewish nose with me today. Some of you, if you're going to work on looking like Jesus, need to fix that nose, okay? It needs to look a little more like this. But you see, this isn't a call for you and I just to outwardly try to look like Jesus, to, to say the Christianese and, and just to try to con people into thinking that we're really sold out for Jesus Christ. This is you and I actually living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. Because let's face it, church, we're not playing dress up. Sometimes we think we are, but this isn't a game. This life that we're given is not a dress rehearsal to prepare us for the real thing. This is the real thing. This is all we have on this side of eternity. And what Paul is calling you and I to is to absolutely be sold out for the Savior, to, to not just get on the field, but to play full out for him, to stop sitting on the sidelines and squandering our lives on self. And to actually serve the Savior. And, and I don't really care what quarter of life you're in. You, when, you, when you and I think about being in the game, there's four quarters, right, typically? And you and I, as we look at our life, there's these different seasons, there's these different quarters of our life. And here's the reality. We're to play full out for Jesus Christ no matter what season we're in, no matter what quarter we're in, no matter how hard it is. Whether you're in the very first quarter of your life or you're in the last quarter of your life, are you going to be sold out for Jesus Christ? You see, the three questions that we need to ask ourselves today are this. Who do I look like? Not who do I see in the mirror, but who do people see when they see me? Who do I look like? Who do I live like? Who do I love like? Are we going to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ or are we going to settle for some kind of a hybrid faith that looks a little bit like Jesus, but loves and lives a lot like the world. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 5, starting, or chapter 5, chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Philippians 2, 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to be clung to. 
Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the human position of a slave. He was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. You and I love a rags to riches story, don't we? There is something in us that likes to see somebody go from that down and out to a place of incredible success. If you listen to the scripture, this is not one of those stories. Jesus Christ goes the opposite direction. He goes from the place of riches to the place of rags. And as we look at the dramatic difference between the glory of heaven and the groaning and the gore of the cross, the first thing we are reminded of here in Scripture when it comes to humility is, number one, the pain. Humility is hard and it is going to cost you something. And that's why I think most of us just want to steer clear of this passage. We, we want to be known as humble people. We just don't want to actually have to be humble people. You see, you and I need to understand that there's a cost to being humble. Today, we are people who very much are willing to be Christ-like as long as it doesn't require suffering. But you see, the way of Christ is the way of the cross. And you can't really get around this passage. You, you, you can do everything you want to do to believe that following Jesus Christ is going to be easy, but the passage says it's going to be hard. You see, today, what we really want in our flesh is we want the health and the wealth. And what we've done primarily is we have traded the pure gospel for a prosperity gospel. Where if I follow Jesus, everything works out great. Some of you know that's not true. Because you were sold out for Jesus Christ and yet you're suffering. And can I remind you that this season that we are called to be a servant and we are called to suffer is temporary. But on the other side of the pain is the gain. And as you and I think about the gain, it's eternal. And so often we focus on, on the, the suffering and being a servant. We're like, I, I really don't want to do that. But you see, it's just temporary. And you and I, so often, we want the gain without the pain, don't we? This prosperity gospel that might feel good to my flesh, but will never, ever feed my faith. And I know a lot of people that have bought into this prosperity gospel because it feels good. It really does. I mean, it's a great idea that if you follow Jesus, it's all going to be roses and rainbows. But let me tell you something. It might feel good to your flesh, but it will never feed your faith. And people that have bought into that prosperity gospel instead of the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, they have a surface faith. And you scratch the surface and there's nothing there. There's no substance. They don't have a sold out faith. And so the moment that things get a little bit tough, things get a little bit hard, they start to question God. Does God love me? Does God care? Look behind me, there's a cross that already proves all of that, right? He already demonstrated his love to us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the motive for us loving other people is his love. But we want to make the motive, do you deserve it? But it's an agape love. And Paul here, what he does is he reveals Jesus Christ's entire life from eternity to his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his righteous rule. Now, why does he do that? Why does he reveal Christ's entire life to the church? Well, it's not for intellectual information. It's for practical transformation. Because here's the reality. 
the Philippian church were living selfish lives. They were making it about their goals and not about God. And they weren't willing to serve one another because they were so focused on self. And you and I need to understand that when we spend time with Jesus, we should be changed. You can't spend time with Christ and not be changed. When we open up the Word of God, we're not opening this up so that we can get some kind of intellectual information, but absolute transformation. And how many of us do we read the Word and, and, and it really doesn't change us? Why? Because we're just looking for information. We're not really allowing that information to go in our heart. The world is in the information age. And I don't know if you've noticed yet or not, but they're getting dumber every day. So information on its own is not going to change you. You need transformation, the transformation of Jesus Christ. You see, it's here that he reveals that the way up is the way down. It's completely backwards to the world. You see, the world says, if you want to get up, you've got to put people down. But Jesus says, if you want to get up, you've got to get down yourself, and you've got to serve people. Not just a surface kind of serving, but a sold-out serving. You see, it's what D.L. Moody said. The beginning of greatness is to be little. The increase of greatness is to be less, and the perfection of greatness is to be nothing. Where are you at in that? Little, less, nothing. You see, Scripture tells us here that Jesus Christ, the one who made everything, became nothing. That's greatness. And what you and I need to understand from the passage today is that Jesus Christ had two positions. And at a choice, which position am I going to hold on to? The position that he held versus the position that he took. You and I have a position today. Every single one of us in this room, every one of you listening online, you have a position, and the question is, am I going to hold on to my position, or am I going to take the position that Christ took? And in order for us to really fully appreciate exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and I, we have to understand first what he had before we can talk about what he gave up. And when you and I look at the position that he held, Paul makes no qualms here, and he says, Jesus was God. That means he had the glory of God. And yet, he tells us that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to, something to be clinged to. So what did Jesus give up for you and I? The glory of God which is absolutely mind-boggling when you consider the original sin and the motive for that original sin. Why did Adam and Eve reach for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because Satan had convinced them they would become like God. They were grasping for the glory of God. Why did people come from all over the world to build the Tower of Babel? They were grasping for the glory of God. And what did Jesus have? He had the glory of God, and he laid it down. Why? For you. For me. He was blameless, limitless, faultless. And he gave it all up for you and I. He stepped out of the glory of heaven, out of eternity, and into time for you and I. He emptied himself of all of his divine privileges. In other words, he gave up all of his advantages so that we could be advantaged. You and I, as we consider that, need to understand that the motive for that is love. Why would the king of the universe give up his throne? One word, love. He wanted you to be in a right relationship with him. The next time you question, Jesus, do you love me? I want you to come back to this passage and say, okay, you, you stripped yourself of everything for me. Yeah, you love me. You demonstrate. You didn't just speak the words. You walked the walk. 
You see, you and I need to understand that there's this amazing contrast in the passage between the hearts of the Philippian believers and Jesus. Jesus gave up everything for relationship. And they weren't willing to do anything for relationship. Jesus said that that relationship was more important than riches, that being in a right relationship with him was the number one priority of his life. Can I ask you, are relationships the number one priority of your life? There's only two things that are eternal, the word of God and souls. Scripture and souls. And I wonder, where are we sowing our seeds today? Are we going to sow our seeds into the things that are eternal, Scripture and souls? But you see, they were busy fighting with each other instead of fighting for each other. Boy, doesn't that describe a lot of our families today? They were having all of these petty arguments. Why? Because our focus is on self and not on the Savior. Instead of being a witness for Jesus and working together for Jesus, they were warring with one another. But doesn't that describe the church a lot of times? We bicker and we argue and we fight and we have all of these frustrations with each other. And I think if there's anything that we need to learn from the passage, if there's one thing that Paul wants us to understand today, it's this, that we need to get over ourselves. Why is that so hard? Can, can I ask you, how many of us have made New Year's resolutions based on me? I'm still focused on me, right? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't better yourself. But what's the motive for that? Is it me or is it Jesus? How many of us have asked the question as we've entered into this new year, Jesus, what do you want to be different in my life this year? Because you can make all the resolutions you want, but here's the thing, if it's going to be in your effort and your strength, it's probably not going to last. There's a reason there's a whole rash of new workout memberships in January, and then no one shows up in February or March. And it's not bad for you and I to say, look, look, I want to get in better shape. Maybe I do need to lose some weight because I need to become a little bit more healthy. Maybe you are sitting there and your resolution is, man, I need to be a better dad or I need to be a better husband or I need to be a better wife. Some of you are thinking, man, I need to be a better kid. I, I, I really am that brat that you talked about. I talk back to my mom all the time. I disrespect my parents. And I know that's not what God has. So that's my resolution, that I would be more respectful this year. That's great. But in your own strength, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to accomplish it. What if you and I would just simply say, my goal this year is to spend more time with Jesus? Because here's what I do know in my life. You can't walk with Christ and not be changed. You see, here's what happens. You start spending time with Jesus and you get convicted over the fact that that you're not taking care of the temple that houses the Holy Spirit. You see, most of us are making New Year's resolutions to lose weight so we can look good, so we can take some selfies and we can promote ourselves on Facebook and everyone will go, wow, you look really good. Oh, I know. Uh You've worked really hard. I know. It was all me. You see, where does Jesus get the glory there? Where's the heart of humility there? And it's so subtle for us to fall into that trap. But if you would walk with Jesus and he would convict you and say, you know what, my spirit is living in that temple. How are you going to take care of that temple? How are you going to take care of that tent? Yeah, it's going to tear. Okay, this tent isn't going to last forever. But you're carrying my spirit. You're carrying my message. You were sharing Jesus with people around you. And if you would do a better job of taking care of the tent, and guess what? It'd be easier to share the message. Is that really the motive for why we want to get in shape? Or is it just so we can look good? If you spend more time with Jesus, I guarantee you, some of you as dads, you're like, I need to spend more time with my family. Less time at work, more time with my family. You know the answer to that? Spend more time with Jesus. You will spend more time with your family. Some of you are like, man, I really want to respect my husband. Spend more time with Jesus. He'll change your heart. He'll give you fresh eyes for your spouse. Some of you as kids, you're thinking, I want to be more respectful to my parents. 
Well, don't go spend a whole bunch of time with the culture. They're not going to teach you to be respectful. Spend time with Jesus in his word. And what has always amazed me is how Jesus gives up everything for you and I. And the moment that we go through any little bit of suffering, the first thing we do is complain and whine. Because we pass right over what Jesus did. Like we go, well, he was God, so it was no big deal that he gave up everything. Jesus Christ went from deity to humanity, but not just humanity. He didn't stop there. He went to the lowest form of humanity, a slave. But he didn't stop there. He died. But he didn't just die. He died the lowest death you can die. A common criminal on a cross. And we talk about how low can you go. You don't get any lower than that. He gave up absolutely everything. It would be one thing if the king of the universe... The creator of the entire world and universe gave up his eternal throne for a throne in one of the kingdoms on earth. Maybe even one of the prominent kingdoms on earth. We would be like, that's still a massive humility drop. That is still Jesus giving up a lot, but he didn't do that. He went all the way. He didn't go partway. And so what you and I do is we just miss and skip right over what Jesus gave up for us because we're so focused on what we've given up for him. And so we end up complaining and whining. And we get mad at God because we miss what God has done for us. And I think if you and I would spend this year focused on what Jesus gave up, our whining would be changed to worship. Jesus, thank you for humbling yourself all the way. Because if you had only humbled yourself partway, I would still be a sinner separated from God the Father on my way to an eternal death in hell. You see, it's here that we see the position that he took. The position of a human slave. He took on all of the characteristics of humanity. He lived in this sin-saturated society like you and I, but unlike you and I, he did not sin. There are two things that Jesus Christ couldn't do before he put on flesh. One was to suffer, the other was to die. And he was about to suffer like nobody else had ever suffered. He was going to die one of the cruelest deaths possible. Do you realize that crucifixion was reserved for the Romans' enemies? That if you were a Roman citizen, you could not be killed through crucifixion, no matter what you did, unless the emperor personally handed down that sentence. What does that tell you? Imagine if we had a death penalty that no American citizen could could have inflicted on them, other than the president would have to sign it. But it was what we regularly used on our enemies. What does that tell you? Can you understand the torture that Jesus Christ went through? You see, the Jews considered it a curse. Deuteronomy and Galatians chapter 3 both tell us that those that die on the tree are cursed. And Jesus Christ went from the crown of heaven to the cradle of Bethlehem to the cross of Jerusalem for you and I. And church, I'm going to tell you, it is one thing to go to the womb. It is a different thing to go to the tomb. Jesus Christ died on the hill of humility. And the question that we have to ask ourselves today is what hill are we going to die on? Because you and I are called to die to self, to take up our cross daily, not weekly, not monthly, not yearly. Every single day. Why? Because every day I need to get over me. The number one thing that prevents me from ministry is me. Because there are times in my life that I get so full of me, there's not room for you. And there's not room for Jesus. And I think there are many of us today, we are so full of self, there's no room for the Savior, and there's not really very much room for serving. Because we spend 95% of our lives focused on self and very little time spent focused on the Savior and serving his kingdom. 
Paul here starts with our mindset or our attitude. Now, why would he start with our attitude? Because your attitude will affect or infect your actions. What goes on in your head will show up in your hands. Put another way, your heart attitude will determine your hands' actions. If you and I are to have the mind of Christ, what does that mean? It means simply this, that we think what Christ thought. And what did Christ think about? It wasn't himself. It was his father. And it was you and I. And in order for us to take on the mind of Christ, we need to think about God. And we need to think about how we're going to serve the people around us. And so I want to ask you this question in your marriage. Do you have the mindset of Christ in your marriage? Do you get up every day with this mindset? How can I best serve my spouse? Or is your mindset more commonly, how can I get my spouse to serve me? You see, Jesus reveals to you and I that he came not to be served, but to be a servant. And Jesus said, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to be a servant of all. And so you and I have to ask ourselves, do I have a servant mentality in my marriage? Do I have the mind of Christ in my marriage? Or do I have a selfish mindset that's constantly trying to get my spouse to serve me? Now, there's another person in Scripture who was constantly trying to get people to serve him. It's called Satan. He even tempted Jesus with a whole bunch of junk that if you would, if you would take on all the kingdoms of the world. I mean, think about that. He's offering Jesus what was already Jesus's, what Jesus created. You see, there's nothing that Satan can offer you that's worth anything. And yet what he does is he says, if you, if, you just, if you just serve me. And so in reality, there are two kinds of mindsets. There's the mindset of the Savior that says, I want to serve. And there is the mindset of Satan that says, I want to be selfish. I want people to serve me. And I wonder, in our marriages, in our parenting, at work, in our ministries... In our entire life, what mindset do we have? The mindset of Satan or the mindset of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? And some of you are like, man, that is way too heavy. You can't tell me that I've got the mind of Satan because I get up and spend my life constantly thinking about how do I get my spouse to serve me. I'm constantly disappointed with the fact that they didn't meet my needs. Well, let's go back to John 10.10. Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come, Jesus, so that you can have life and have it abundantly. So let me ask you, what kind of a marriage do you have? Is it a miraculous marriage or is it an absolute mess? Is it life or is it death? Because here's the reality. You and I can convince ourselves that we don't have the mind of Satan. We're just being selfish. But the truth is, our marriages have become an absolute mess. And the reality is, as Mama used to say, the proof is in what? The pudding. What are the results? You, you, can, you can deny that all you want, but there's really only two mindsets. It's not just the mindset of self. The mindset of self really ends up focused on the things that Satan wants to focus on because it's trying to get everybody to worship us. It's trying to get everybody to, to meet our needs. We put ourselves in the position where everything revolves around us, like we're the center of the universe. That is what Satan is constantly trying to do. He's trying to be God. Trying to get everybody to worship him. Now, guys, I want to ask you this question. Galatians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. Okay, he sacrificed, he gave up everything. Is that the kind of love that you have for your wife? Do you have a sacrificial love or do you just sort of have a surface love? That if we scratch a little at your marriage, there's really no substance. There's really not a lot there because everything's kind of on the surface. It's not agape love. It's a conditional love. I'll love my wife if, when, how, and there's a whole bunch of hoops she's got to jump through to get loved. Because here's the reality. The way that you love your wife is also going to be the way that you love your kids. It's also going to be the way that you love your coworkers. 
And, and there's guys in here right now that are like, okay, preacher, you pick on us way too much. You need to talk to the wives. And why do we think that way? Because we have a 50-50 marriage mentality today, right? Do you understand the real true concept of submission and the real true concept of service? Wives are called to submit, right? To what? A man that's serving their heart. And here's the thing. Here's what we're doing in our marriages today. What we're saying as men is this. Talk to the wife. I don't want to talk about leadership. I want to default that leadership, but here's the reality. You can't get it around in Scripture, and that is that you and I as men are called to lead in love. And what we're doing today as a society of men is we're defaulting leadership. We're getting in the back seat, and we're saying to our wives, why don't you lead in love? Why don't you show the kids what love looks like? What if Jesus had defaulted? What if he just said, yeah, but that's really hard what you're calling me to do, Father, and so I'm just going to take a back seat. Let, let somebody else model love. And so here's what's happening to us as guys, right? We're not modeling this love. We're not leading in love. And then we wonder why our kids are making these horrible choices, especially our daughters, when it comes to the, to the kind of things that they allow guys to do to them and say to them because they don't have a clue what real love looks like. Because we were trying to get mom to lead in love. Guys, it is time for you and I to man up and to really, truly let Jesus Christ transform our lives. It's not information that's going to change your life. It's transformation. And so I want to ask you this really hard question. And I'm going to do one of the most uncomfortable things in our society. I'm going to give us a time of silence. I don't know why silence in our culture is so hard for us. We get incredibly uncomfortable, right? Because we're called to reflect and think. And we just want to charge ahead and not have to think about how we're living our life. But here's the question I want you to ask, answer. And I'm going to give you a little bit of time to be uncomfortably silent as you process. When was the last time you authentically, sacrificially served your wife? Last time you authentically, sacrificially served your spouse. Think about that. For the first time in history, men want the preacher to keep preaching. Why? Because we're uncomfortable. Because we're thinking back and we're like, well, that was that time that I let her have the last slice of pizza. I really wanted it. That was a pretty big sacrifice. There was that time I took her to the romantic movie. and I mean, I slept through most of it, but I took her and we called it a date, right? I'm talking about authentic sacrifice. And there's some of us right now are really uncomfortable because we're like, not only do I not remember the last time, I don't even know if I've ever really truly done that. And some of you right now are saying, yeah, well, that's fine, but Jesus was able to do that because he was God. But remember, he put servanthood over Godhood. He was still God, yes. But he experienced all the pressures that you're experiencing, all of the pulls And yet he still carved out time for God the Father. He still carved out time to serve people and love people and make their agendas more important than his. And for those of you that are like, yep, but I'm still going with the God card. He was God, can't be done. I mean, can you tell me of someone that's actually practically lived this out? Take your Bibles back out. Go back to Philippians chapter 2. Interestingly, Paul answers that in verse 19. Just a couple of verses later, he says this in chapter 2 of verse 19. If the Lord Jesus is willing, notice there that Paul has a heart desire, but it is still submitted to the will of God. What did Jesus say in the garden? Not my will be done, but your will. And here's what Paul says. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. 
All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. That's got to be one of the saddest statements in Scripture. Paul, you're telling me of all the churches and all of the people that you know, there's only one person that you can send because everyone else is on a selfish agenda? You're telling me that in all of these churches that you've started, there is only one person that's totally sold out for Jesus Christ? Here's what happens in the church 2,000 years later. 20% are doing 80% of the work, right? And what we think is, we've got a leadership problem. Because it should be different. And so if we have a different kind of leadership, then maybe we could inspire people to serve more. Paul was a pretty great leader. I don't think they had a leadership problem. I think it was a heart problem. And here's what's amazing to me. 2,000 years have passed, and we've still got our human nature to contend with, that human nature that wants to get in the way of a heart of humility, and we've still got the same problem in the church today that we had 2,000 years ago. If the elders of this church decided to send a group of people from our body to build up a body of believers in another area of the country or another place on this planet, would they send you? Are you currently modeling a lifestyle of living for the Lord Jesus Christ? It's really kind of the same question that we ask when people are like, well, I really want to go on missions like you're not sharing Jesus here. You know the language, you know the culture, but you won't share Jesus with your neighbor. What makes you think that flying 10,000 miles across the world is going to change your heart? And, and the tough question here is, would I be a Timothy or would I be in the majority where my calendar is so full there's no room for Christ, where my ambitions are so lofty there is no time for the Lord Jesus Christ? Where I am so wrapped up in myself, I really don't have time to serve. Because here's what Paul understood. It was absolutely critical that Timothy went to that church, not so that Timothy could get built up, so that the church could get blessed. And in order for the church to be blessed, Timothy had to be all in. But you notice there's no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares and who is making Christ And his agenda, number one. You see, it's here that you and I see the motive for a heart of humility. And it's interesting because we want to just sort of magically have this heart of humility. But it comes out of a little word called obedience. Paul here reveals one word that sums up Christ's entire life. If you were to sum up Jesus' entire life with one word, that'd be tough, wouldn't it? What Paul does is he says it's obedience. And he says here, Jesus was obedient to the cross. Now understand this. When we think of Christ's obedience, we tend to limit it just to that moment when he gave up his life on the cross of Calvary. But Jesus Christ was obedient from the cradle all the way to the cross. It's not like Jesus said, I'm going to live this disobedient life, and then when I get close to the cross, I'll suddenly become obedient. That would be like you and I living for Jesus on Sunday, but not Monday through Saturday. I'm going to be partially obedient, somewhat obedient, 10% obedient. Why does that matter? Because it says this in Romans 5.19, because one person disobeyed God, Adam. Many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, Jesus... Many will be made righteous. Justification through imputation. Simply put, it means that because of Adam's disobedience, sin entered into the world. But because of Christ's obedience, salvation overcame sin. Aren't you thankful Jesus was obedient? Aren't you thankful when your kids are obedient? Do you think the father was thankful that Jesus was obedient? Jesus asked, is there any other way? Is there a plan B? There's no plan B. Okay, not my will, but your will. And today what we're doing is we're saying, well, isn't there a plan B? I mean, can't I be partially disobedient? 
Do you remember what Jesus said? If you love me, obey me. We understand that as parents, right? Our kids, they want to show their love and get into something and whatever. But what is truly love to you as a parent when your kids do what you tell them to do? And why do you tell them to do certain things? It's not to harm them, but to help them. You see, it's going to be a benefit to them. And when you and I are obedient to Jesus, we are demonstrating our love for him. Because what we're saying is, not my wants, your will. I love you more than getting my way. Is that your heart? Because you see, you and I need to understand that if we're going to live these these selfish lives where we make it about ourselves, it will end up resulting in disobedience. And what does disobedience end up in? Death. It's going to hurt, hurt us, harm our hearts. Let me ask you this question. Is there any area in your life where you're currently being disobedient? Some of you are living together. God's very clear in his word. Marriage bed should not be defiled. I've been asked by more than one person, was there another passage? What are we doing? Well, if Jesus only said it once, then I guess I can bypass that. Let me ask you this, is once enough? Yeah, there's times that God repeats things in scripture, right? But, but what if he doesn't? And yeah, there are other passages. But is one time enough? Some of you today, you're coming to church and, and, and you're putting the outward appearance of being a Christian, but you're living in disobedience because the person you're with, that, that's not your spouse. They're married to someone else. You're married to someone else. And we've got to deal with tough things in the passage. And some of us, our disobedience is we've got these closet sins. We're mostly obedient. We're 95% obedient. But then we go into these areas of disobedience. Now, I know in Christ's life, it was hard. There was a lot of hard times. I mean, if I'd have been Jesus, I would have blinded Pharisees. I, would, I mean, there would have been lightning. People's boats would have gotten swallowed up. It would not have looked very loving. Right? Because I would have tried to live it by my flesh. But Jesus Christ lived according to the will of the Father. And he said this, it's not about your feelings, it is about following me. And you and I have to understand that there were times in Jesus' life that were easier than other times. There were times in Christ's life where it was easy to be obedient. It fit with his heart. It fit with what he wanted. It it went along with his agenda. And so it was just kind of easy to be obedient. Aren't there times in our life where it's just easy to be obedient? But can I ask you how easy was it when he got to the Garden of Gethsemane? It says that he sweat blood. That is a major traumatic event in a person's life where the capillaries start to break down because of stress and they're next to the sweat glands and out comes blood in your sweat. You are literally breaking under the pressure. And you cry out to God the Father, is there any other way? No, son. This is the only way. You are the perfect spotless lamb and there has to be a sacrifice for sin. It has to be atoned for and it's you and it's the cross. And I wish it was different, but there's no other way. Your will, not my wants. And so what happens in our life when we come to the Golgothas? When we come to the crossroads of the cross in our life? Here's what most of us do. We default. We say, you know what? That's too hard to obey Jesus. Some of you right now, you know what God's called you to do in your marriage and you're justifying disobedience. You know why? It's just too hard. That cross is too heavy a cross to bear. My wife doesn't deserve my love. My husband doesn't deserve my respect. And so I'm going to justify my disobedience. Why? Because I'm basing obedience on my circumstances, not on Christ not on the cross. You see, it's here that you and I move from the pain to the gain. And as I said, we love the gain. And many of us, we want the gain without the pain. Do you see here that Jesus Christ goes from humiliation to exaltation? That he has given the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, everyone will bow. There's no higher position than Jesus. Do you see that he went to the lowest low and now he is going to the highest high? But so many of us, we focus on the highest high. 
And we don't spend this life living on the lowest low. Do you notice here that it's not just that Jesus gained, we gain. Because when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we're not just saved from sin. We don't just have a home in heaven. We get to share in the glory of God. We don't have to grasp for it. We don't have to try to cling. We don't have to try to get in the limelight. Do you, do you recognize me here? Do, do you see me? Am, am I going to get the glory? How many times as Christians do we try to hijack the glory of God? And we've gotten really good at looking spiritual doing it. You know, it's nothing new. The Pharisees were good at it 2,000 years ago. They conned a lot of people. But we don't have to try to grasp for the glory. It's already been given to us. And that's an amazing thought to me, that we share in the inheritance of God. That Jesus Christ not only gave up everything, but then he was willing to share He is now given the name above all names. But what's he going to do? He's going to open up his home. You and I get to live there for free. We don't have to pay taxes. We don't have to pay some kind of insurance on it. And it's forever. So let me ask you this question. Has there been a point in your life where you have confessed Christ as your only Savior from sin? Has there been a point in your life where you have admitted your sin before a holy God and you've said, I can't save myself with works. I can't somehow balance out my bad things with good things. I need God. I need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And you've cried out for Jesus to save you from your sin because if you have, then you are born again You have a totally new nature, which means you are absolutely free to spend your life on everybody but yourself. Does that appeal to you or not? Now, I didn't ask if it appealed to your flesh. It's never going to appeal to your flesh to spend your life on everybody but yourself. Does it appeal to your faith? And are we going to walk by faith or are we going to walk according to the flesh? You see, you and I are absolutely free to spend our lives on everyone else. Why? Not so that we can gain. We've already gained. We've already got everything that God's going to give us, right? But so that others can gain. And I wonder how many of us today are living a life of service so that we can bless others instead of be blessed. Is your goal to get a blessing or to be a blessing? Now, it is revealed when you and I start to serve people and and somehow people don't notice, they don't applaud, they don't thank us, they don't give us a pat on the back, and all of a sudden our hearts get sour and we're sort of mad because we're serving Jesus but no one's noticing. What does that reveal about your heart? Your heart motive is not a heart of humility. It's a haunty heart that's basically saying this, I'm serving Jesus to get blessed, not to be a blessing. Now, Jesus, the name above all names, really, when you boil it all down and you say, what's the most important thing in your life? What is your absolute goal? What are you living for? Is it the Lord? Because someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The question is, why would we wait until it's too late to do that? There's some great names out there. Alexander the Great, I mean, that tells you that's a great name. The guy accomplished a lot. A lot of people bowed down to him. Conquered a lot of different nations. He was a big, big guy in his day, in his day. His day's over. Someday he will kneel before the king of kings and he will say, Jesus, you are the rightful ruler. It wasn't Alexander the Great. It was Jesus Christ, the lowly servant. Martin Luther. It's a pretty big name. Abraham Lincoln. Napoleon, I don't care what big names you want to bring, there is no bigger name than the name of Jesus. What name are you trusting in today? And here's the question, whose name are you promoting? Yours or his? You see, here's the thing. There are people today who are still rejecting Jesus. And maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're listening online. There are people today that are still rejecting Jesus. Why? Because they're still making it about self. Because they're self-made. They're self-sustained. And they look at Christians as cripples. You just need a crutch to get through life. And your crutch is Jesus. Jesus is not my crutch. Jesus is my Savior. Because without him, I'm heading to hell. Those people someday will kneel 
before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as I said, why would we wait until it's too late? There's an amazing story told about Billy Graham that when he wanted to, felt like God was calling him to be a pastor, he went to a pastor and he said, would you pray with me? This is what I feel like God's calling me to. And he said, Billy, get on your knees, let's pray. And the pastor prayed. And when he opened up his eyes, Billy Graham was laying flat out, prostrate on the floor before Jesus. And he said, I knew then that he was going to do great things for God. Why? Because he made himself nothing. How low can you go? Here's how most of us bow to Jesus. Someday, we will bow with both knees. But here's how many of us are bowing to Jesus. Well, I'm partially bowed. I'm not really fully willing to submit to Jesus. And I want to ask you this question. If you claim to be a Christian, has there been a change in your life? Are you different than you used to be? Because conversion involves change. You can't walk with Christ and not be changed. Salvation is not a new leaf we turn over. It is a new life that we live. And today, some of you, you don't need a New Year's resolution. You need new life through Jesus Christ's resurrection. And so the question that you're asking is this. How do I cultivate a heart of humility? Spend more time with Jesus. This isn't you and I trying to, 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 to just look like Jesus, but to actually live and love like Jesus. And in order to do that, you've got to spend time with Jesus. And so I want to ask you, how much time are you going to spend in his word? How much time are you going to spend in prayer on your knees before God, submitted to his will this year? There's two questions that I want you to ask yourself every single day this year. One's a morning question, one is an evening question. In the morning, this is the question I want you to ask. When you first get up and you thank God for new life, for a new day, here's the question I want you to ask. Who am I going to serve today? When you go to bed at night and you thank God for the day that he gave you, regardless of how great or crummy it was, this is the question I want you to ask. Who did I serve today? Who am I going to serve? Who did I serve? Because here's the reality. If you get up every day and you identify one person that you can serve and you actually serve them, you will cultivate a heart of humility because you'll walk with Jesus. We're going to close today in a little bit of a different way. Casting crowns have a song, Only Jesus. And I'm going to pray, and then I want you to listen to the song. As soon as it's over, you're free to leave. But here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Who am I really going to live for this year? Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for encouraging us and blessing us with your word. Cultivate within us a servant's heart, not a selfish heart, for we pray these things in your name. Amen.